Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Salford, the podcast where we chat to an alumni about their Salford experience. It's Lachlan Campbell here as your host and today we are coming to you from a new location, Media City. Yes, we are here in Radio Studio A on a rather cloudy summer's day. So if you want to check out what it's like in here, then please do head to the university's official YouTube channel to watch this one here. Now for today's guest, uh, a big welcome to Amber Hack. How are we today? Hi, Lachlan. All good, thank you. Really, really nice to be back. Feeling very much a blast from the past. Oh, it's lovely to have you with us today. So Amber is our first alumni we've had on with us who was with us for just the one year. She attended Salford as a PG Dip journalism student graduating in 2015. Amber joined Salford previously after graduating from the University of Leeds in 2014 and since graduation has gone on to become a highly regarded freelance TV presenter, journalist and documentary filmmaker. She's a former graduate of the BBC's prestigious journalism trainee scheme and was named as a one to watch by the Edinburgh TV Festival in 2021. Last year, she presented on the BBC Three flagship true crime series, Hometown, A Teenage Killing, which led to calls from the UK Parliament for a change in policy on youth violence. And last month, fronted the BBC Panorama documentary series, Landfill, Britain's Toxic Secrets, about the millions of tonnes of waste thrown into landfills. And that's not all. Amber is also a DJ, playing live techno sets as part of the duo Kakura. So Amber, I think a key thing to do is to go to the very start. Why did you pick Salford to do um, to your master's PG dip? Well, as you just mentioned, I'd been in Leeds. I did English Lit and Language over there in Leeds as my undergrad. And to be honest, that kind of period of life was just a lot of kind of getting into the uni life, a lot more about the social side of things, having a lot of fun and... I always kind of knew I wanted to be a journalist, but I think mm -hmm. I was pushed by my school, to be honest, to kind of keep things broad at university and just mm -hmm. go and do English, just in case you change your mind. Absolutely. Um, and so I did that, but it was always in the back of my mind that I, you know, still wanted to pursue this career in journalism. And the BBC had kind of just been going for a few years here in Media City. ITV had moved here, so it was kind of still relatively newish since I had left Manchester anyway. And then just knowing that the University of Salford had a campus here in the heart of it, you know, in the thick of it, I was going to be kind of surrounded by all these big broadcasters as well as kind of looking at the syllabus and the types of people who tutored here and like the opportunities. It just kind of felt like I was going to really get this year of a crash course in you know, journalism 101 kind of thing. And not only that, but the kind of, opportunities to connect with people in the industry so for me it was kind of a no-brainer really that it was the place to be and obviously being a mank it was really nice to to come back home for a little bit as well so it was just a perfect equation all around really so you you born and grew up in manchester yeah yeah south yeah. manchester south girl manchester um what what do you think of how media city has kind of become this this behemoth in the media sector across the uk for the last few years I mean, obviously, I think it's incredible. Like, it's... When it first happened as well, it really felt like, you know, Manchester was going to be properly put on the map as mm -hmm. a kind of media 
institution a place to be and really kind of pull people in from not just around the country but from around the world and obviously that has happened it has been a success story even when I think back to the you know the types of students I studied with here it was such a mixed bag of people from across the country yeah but then having worked within the BBC over there in Media City I've done some freelance stuff since I was in Doc 10 over there doing some editing and it is just literally it's become a hub and that's so exciting um and I just wish we could replicate it more to be honest I think it's been a real example of how things can really work outside of London and Mm -hmm. um and I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about the kind of the culture and the environment here but I really felt like I just thrived within it. I really yeah. genuinely, not just saying it because I'm back here, in, enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to hometown a bit later, um, but you were inspired to get involved in journalism from a quite an early age, weren't you? I mean, you actually met Doreen Lawrence and you've addressed Greater Manchester Police at a very young age. So do you want to talk to me a little bit about that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a bit of a random story, to be honest. And obviously I don't fully remember because I was yeah. so young, but... In all honesty, I've always been from like what my mum and dad kind of said, a questioner mm-hmm. and, you know, just very inquisitive about the world, very curious. I'm sure it did their head in in some ways, but, you know, I was always quite, yeah, intrigued to understand like why things worked the way they did. And I'm really fortunate, actually, that I had the kind of upbringing that I did. You know, my mum would always sit and you know talk to me about the news and stuff that was going on and kind of you know try to pique that curiosity in me and um that particular documentary it was called um a secret policeman yes and uh just to give a, a quick synopsis of what it was it was an undercover reporter who went undercover in the met police and really exposed widespread corruption institutionalized racism did you know the undercover filming just spoke volumes about some of the attitudes mm-hmm. that within with, with were within the force at the time and i think for me obviously understanding it through like an 11 year old lens yeah was that first understanding of those people who are supposed to protect us because you know you do when you're a kid it's like oh the police you know they're, they're here to protect us and seeing that because obviously you know my dad is a brown man from Pakistan and you know you have that slight awareness of your difference at that age it yet was my first exposure to people in power don't always treat the communities and the people that they serve well but anyway so we went around and and Doreen Lawrence was there and obviously again at 11 understanding the story of what had happened to Stephen it's a really kind of you know dark and brutal introduction to that but you know is the realities of life and i felt like our sort of synergy with martin as this this top black officer doreen as this mum who'd lived through you know the real trauma of this and then me kind of giving my perspective as a a young south asian child it kind of worked really well with hammering the message home so yeah it was a really fascinating first introduction into that world I suppose it wasn't journalism but it was just your first exposure to injustice so it sounds to me as if you you've had quite a clear path from very early age that journalism was something you wanted to do so when it then came to leaving Salford and taking your first steps in the industry how did it feel to then actually get started yeah terrifying obviously Mm -hmm. um I think I just really tried to use those months here to Mm -hmm. kind of 
network a lot. I tried my best to kind of not just see it as, you know, a student course, so to speak. I was like, I'm not going to just do stories which are, you know, student stories or stories just to kind of make the module. I really tried my best to create stories which I was like, you know, could genuinely be taken on by a broadcaster or a newspaper or whatever, like really trying to kind of do original stories. And obviously, here's your place to make mistakes as well. Exactly. Which was a big thing for me is like, you know, before I step into that working world, I want to make all of my mistakes now. And, you know, having that opportunity to try so many different things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I always enjoyed presenting and reporting and doing stories. But like I tried technical stuff here. I did, you know, studio stuff in the studio. And so that kind of gave me that buffer to be like, I've made some of those mistakes, but obviously nothing prepares you for, yeah, starting in, in a media institution like the BBC. And it's about, what, from what it sounds like, it's about uh, your inner creativity really letting it flourish, I think, when it comes to, to finding those kind of moments and finding that story that you think is a story that needs telling. And one of your recent documentaries, Hometown, was quite a personal story for you, wasn't it? So do you want to tell me about how that came about? Yeah, sure. It's quite a journey, so a bit difficult to summarise. But yeah, when I um, I left the BBC, so I, I went on after the trainee scheme to be a reporter on Victoria Derbyshire programme. So okay. that was kind of newsy, current affairs, lived in London. And I kind of realised that I thought maybe freelance might be the right path now because I've always wanted to be in documentaries, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I started in news and news is a really great way to kind of get your foot in the door. Obviously, it's a lot quicker turnaround to get stories done, but I wanted to do long form docs and it's kind of unaffordable to turn freelance straight away and live in London. So moved back home anyway, uh, did a few things while I was up here and it was great because I could now just kind of do whatever documentary I want. Like I did one in Ibiza where I went and did stuff about, um, you know, the environmental issues happening there and problems with diversity and trying to kind of, you know, create documentaries for younger audiences in unusual ways and locations and stuff. And then by total random chance, sometimes these things do happen... A friend of mine uh, who was still working within the BBC forwarded on an email. So BBC Three were, well, it was actually an independent production company, were looking for presenter journalists, actually journalists primarily, to cover a story from their local area that was close to their heart. But you couldn't just be interested in being on camera. You had to be a proper journalist who was going to, you know, bring local contacts, bring sort of your personal experiences yeah and i don't know if if you've seen uh, the first season of hometown mabina zar did uh, the first series in huddersfield and it was just a kind of really standout series at the time it was so critically acclaimed and won loads of awards um and anyways it's kind of a, a funny story because i saw this advert i had there was a week to apply for it i was in the middle of an edit at the time and i couldn't think of any ideas my mind was just completely blank and, you know, you never get that chance to do a BBC Three series that's advertised externally. It just kind of doesn't happen. And then uh, as sometimes this this does happen for me, I was either on a walk or like in the shower or something. And then it popped into my mind that I was like, oh, my God, that story that happened in March where that boy got killed. I re- Literally, I remember my mum ringing me at the time, yeah. telling me about it when it had happened 
And I thought that story, that can't be over. Some That got too many people speaking, like what has happened with that story? And, you know, that's when the cogs start to turn and, you know, you start connecting the dots and looking at, um, in summary, basically the story, if, if no one's familiar, is a boy called Yusuf Mackey was killed in Hale Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very much footballer's paradise, wealthy part of, of Trafford in Manchester. And um, people were really shocked because of where it happened, obviously. You know, million-pound houses around. And the boys involved were all private school boys. So it was just one of those cases that really sort of stood out. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of controversy after the verdict had been reached because Yusuf was stabbed by one of his friends um, who stabbed him through the heart and claimed that he had acted in self-defence, but he was acquitted of murder and manslaughter, which people at the time found quite controversial. And it sparked a lot of conversations in the city about, you know, injustice, Mm -hmm. inequality. Would this have been totally different if these were, you know, boys from a working class community or they were, you know, black or Asian, for example? And so, yeah, I just sent this kind of what can only be described as like a kind of mental mind map of, you know, all these dots, which I thought we could connect and everything moved very quickly from there. Um, Before I knew it, you know, the exec was like, we love the story. We've wanted to do this story. Quite a few people have submitted the same story, but I had spoken to the family. I had, you know... I guess maybe I, I also had quite a lot of personal connections to the story. So for many different reasons, it was just a really good fit. And, um, you know, it completely was my life, to be honest, for those two years. You know, you get completely immersed in the story and all the twists and turns of it. And, you know, the amount of lessons I learned was just unbelievable from one kind of series, you know, good and bad of of not kind of um it's great i think to be a really immersed journalist and you know i was very embedded within all these communities but i think i learned a lot about having also healthy distances from stories and kind of not being too intertwined with the contributors and it just it's quite difficult you know you have to obviously remain really impartial and you don't you know Mm. your job is not to be people's friends as well is is also quite challenging you know when you're gaining people's trust and so you know on so many levels I just learn an unbelievable amount it's quite a dark subject matter to do a documentary on for such a long time how did you manage your mental health around that time Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it was challenging. Like, I think I learned a lot about myself that I am quite a internalised stressor. I don't really have, like, outward panics or freak Mm -hmm. outs, don't really shout at people. But it it would kind of hit, I think, you know, when you go to bed at night and your mind finally slows down, you know, the pace of the day has stopped and then it'll just hit, like, a kind of tonne of bricks. And I think, you know probably never do a story like that again which is so on your you know there's only kind of one hometown you can kind of do so to speak but it was actually you know understanding that we were doing stories about very volatile young men about gang members you know there were a lot of wealthy family involved in in some of the sides of the story so from all different angles when you have that anxiety naturally it jumps to worst case scenario right it's somebody's going to come after my family, Mm. you know, my 
dad has businesses right in the heart of some of these communities. They probably knew who my parents were anyway, to be honest. It takes two seconds to kind of work that out. But, you know, when you really grasp that, it's quite challenging. And I think, like, in our industry, we're really good at giving kind of mental health support to contributors and, like, victims. But, you know, as journalists, that mental load of what you do it's quite a lot. Like, I mean, yeah, you've we got to go- take a lot on. Really. Yeah. Um, now, one thing you've mentioned that I'd like to talk about is diversity and representation. Now, uh, the university this year is the premier partner of the Asian Media Awards. This is the 10th year of this partnership. Um, these awards have become quite a key figure in the media industry's diary. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this, on diversity and representation, on what you think of the available opportunities in the creative industries for Asian graduates and journalists, and I'm speaking all of Asia here, um, do we think we've come some way now since when you started? Most definitely we've come on leaps and bounds. I mean, particularly in the past like five years, I've felt like I've seen a, a seismic shift in terms of representation. And I think we focus a lot on new entrants and kind of like new talent breaking in, but I've I've always had a concern that kind of at that mid-tier level then going into leadership 100% because that's how culture filters down, right? And mm-hmm. and kind of actual change happens when it's coming from the top. And Absolutely. having worked within a big institution like the BBC, when things take us, they're a bit slow to kind of change. It's really difficult to create a culture when we're only kind of doing it from the new entrance. But so things have got a lot better. Um, I think like for me, like when I first got into, um, you know, kind of working properly as a journalist, it's finding those spaces where those ideas are going to be embraced. But like tone is really important Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes we can get diverse stories out there, but the tone isn't quite right. It's not truly representative. And like, you know, there's a lot of, for example, even when I think about regionality and like diversity in terms of telling stories about regions like sometimes they're quite how would I describe stereotypical caricatures you know like I think of some of the series that have come out of like Newcastle and it's very kind of based on you know sort of jokey lad culture or like partying culture and that's the kind of representation of that I think it's been a bit similar with some content about Liverpool as well Mm. and you know, sort of representing communities in a way that is sort of truly authentic. But when I found those spaces, like when I worked on Victoria Derbyshire program, the reason why I wanted to work there was because you could tell that the tone, the types of reporters that were doing um, the stories, everything about it was kind of, yeah, this is truly giving the 360 of the story. And, you know, we throw that word authenticity around quite a lot. Yeah. Um, But I also liked that they didn't want to put me in a box because sometimes I, not so much now, but when I first started, you know, there was a lot of people wanting to put me in a box where I just did South Asian stories. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's quite weird. Maybe because there also wasn't, you know, things, as I've said, have got a lot better, but maybe I might have only been one of the first sort of South Asian female kind of journalists coming into certain spaces and... You know, like I can remember once someone asked me if I wanted to do some undercover in like, um, 
I won't give too much detail away, but it was kind mm-hmm. of like in a setting where they thought some radicalization and extremism was happening back when this was kind of a very big, like, hot topic. Okay. And I can understand why they would ask that because obviously you know, you can't send, let's say, a white man into that space and expect to get those answers. I understand that, but it was... I just felt like, oh, I'm really being kind of put into a box that I don't... Yeah. yeah, and for me, diversity is not... Um, just doing stories about where you are from. Like, I've done plenty of those. I enjoy doing those, but only when, you know, it warrants it in the story because that's not true diversity. Then it's just kind of feels a bit box ticker. Um, And I think representing your diversity and your culture, whether that is, you know, your gender, your age range, you know, sexual orientation, ethnicity, whatever it is, is not just doing stories about the South Asian community. It's just representing how people think, you know, you could do even a mainstream story like Brexit or politics, but still represent how people think, if that makes sense. It's Mm -hmm. diversity of thought. Yeah. So, yeah, I just don't know if we're 100% there yet. And, And something that's kind of been weighing on my mind is I think since everything that happened, you know, with George Floyd and like Black Lives Matter, I feel like black creatives have made leaps and bounds you know in terms of representation and and really um creating spaces for themselves to thrive and kind of um yeah really championing each other and i hope and wish that we can do that a bit more in the south asian community as well and that's why stuff like the asian media awards are incredible because they create an annual space where South Asian creatives and people in the telly industry can get together. And it's so much more far-reaching than just the awards themselves. Yeah. But, yeah, I wish we could do that more. You know, I, I still don't think I see enough South Asian young men in the media. Because um, this actually only popped up for me recently. I needed a producer, uh, a South Asian male producer, very mm-hmm. specific, just because it's a sensitive kind of story where I needed that for. And you know, there just isn't kind of enough. And I wonder why that is. Um, Interesting. But I think it's also on our own community to kind of understand a bit more about the powers of kind of getting into this industry. I don't personally, and this might be seen controversially, put everything on broadcasters and editors and commissioners. You know, yes, we need to get better at creating spaces for people to come, but I think within our own community... Still to this day, like I was having my hair dyed three weeks ago and I was talking to the hairdresser there who was South Asian and she was asking me about my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said to me, oh, my daughter wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't let her. Wow. And then so I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm quite intrigued. Why? And yeah. when she unpacked it, it was because she was worried about the kind of dangers of, you know, her daughter doing that kind of thing and getting hate and getting. But actually, as I asked her kind of more questions, because her daughter is... Um, a beauty influencer now. Okay. And I kind of said, for you, what's the difference? Um, because to me, that's still exposure. It's still, you know, public facing exactly. kind of thing and putting yourself out there. And it's so interesting. I mean, she didn't quite phrase it like this, but I got the sense that it was like, in this job, you have a voice and you're questioning things and you're pushing back on things and you're maybe being difficult. They might perceive that as, even though it's not, you know, for it's chasing the truth. Yeah. yeah. And that, came to the heart of it because she was like you know but you're doing quite controversial things and you might upset people and for me that came to the heart of like so is the fear around 
having a voice. I don't know. It was a really interesting interaction. That's fascinating. Yeah. What what do you think? I mean, you kind of touched on this, but what do you think um, universities and the wider industry, the media industry, could do to encourage blacks and Asian and creatives to get into journalism as a career? What what can we do more? You said it's not necessarily on the presenters and journalists, but what does the industry need to kind of do to, to make that door more open and friendly, really? I think, obviously, this is, you know, it's one of the most challenging times because distrust in the media is quite at an all-time low as well. There's a lot of scepticism, some rightfully so, some really kind of not rightfully so, and I found as well, talking from a, a journalist perspective, there's a real lack of understanding about the importance of impartiality. You know, I, I, in an era and a generation where everybody wants to have an opinion and it's like, oh, you are on our side or aren't you kind of thing. Yeah. So for me, I just feel like really, like how I had my experience with seeing with the secret policeman, you know, something that cuts through the noise, that exposes truth, the power of that. It's like, I feel like we need to kind of, make that cool and interesting again and important and I think this generation coming up now I think they do have that consciousness mm-hmm. I think they have that sort of desire for truth and yep. kind of cutting through the noise and you know they recognize the I don't know if I can swear but the BS yeah the BS um, I see yeah. yeah of uh of you know messages that are being kind of pushed towards them but we are up against obviously this wave of social media but i think there's this there's a kind of middle ground to be embraced where i think mm-hmm. and, and i'm sure the university i know the university here anyway are are doing that now and embracing that with modules on digital and social media but new media as we probably might call it mm-hmm. so yeah for me it's kind of like let's say for example if you were going into a south asian community in I don't know somewhere in West Yorkshire jumps into my mind like Dewsbury where I would imagine we're not that well represented with people getting into kind of um, media creative jobs I think it's kind of just empowering people to see that the world around them has relevance Mm -hmm. and um, you know can really offer something fascinating to this industry because I think the more I started to kind of lean into that like I used to see even a conversation with like the cab driver as a place to like find a story you know to just speak to someone with and that's kind of i've always taken that approach more really like i've speak to real people with real people's lives and you wouldn't you know you wouldn't believe the kind of gold mine of of stories and perspectives that there are out there to kind of show so yeah i just feel like we have to do a bit of demystifying the role of the media in this kind of current world and just embrace the wave of change that's obviously happening with social media and probably AI soon. I think the thing is also is that surely journalism is now more accessible than ever because with the rise of platforms like TikTok, everyone can be a journalist in some way or fashion. You can tell a story, get a captive audience, and you can present that message to a lot of people very easily. Um, But do you think we that we need to embrace more of those kind of techniques if we're to attract people to kind of really consider a career in journalism. Yeah, I really do. And I think as well, like maybe still people have um, associations that journalism has to be really serious or really Mm -hmm. boring or really, you know, talking from an ivory tower. Like it so does not need to be that way. In fact, I've actively embraced that more as I've kind of 
grown in this career and have a bit more creative control over what I do. Like you can use humor, you can use light and shade, you can show personality. Like so many people on TikTok, like you say, are storytellers and journalists without realizing like everybody obsessively follows podcasters and, you know, wants to see podcasters interviewing. And yeah, they're kind of doing, I don't know, self-help or entrepreneurial kind of things but they are sort of being interviewers and journalists really and there's a lot to to kind of yeah be said for embracing new media and that you can literally be a journalist at the you know touch of a finger on your phone it doesn't have to be you go and work for the bbc you know in a traditional route i just don't think people think of it like that yeah no absolutely so uh last question before we hit the recommendation so uh i've got to ask this What's your first love, journalism or DJing? <laughs> Funny question. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's got to be journalism, but I do. You know, music has always been a huge part of my life, of my social life, of you know how I switch off. It's yeah, so yeah. kind of it's a real language to me. Um, but the whole DJing thing, how it's come about, is quite interesting, really. So, me and and my partner Sean. We, uh, he was working in finance. I was kind of working within the BBC in London, as as I mentioned earlier. And when we both moved back up north, we kind of really wanted to take the plunge into like freelance life. Yeah. And he had started music production, mm-hmm. so actually making music. Um, and I'd gone freelance with the doc making, and um, we kind of realised really that when he was sitting in the studio and making his tracks, and I was sitting and developing my doc ideas we were both kind of storytellers in what we were doing. So, mm-hmm. like, when Sean makes music, he he quite literally kind of visualises characters and it's a journey and, you know, even though it's techno house music, <laughs> like, it's very... We make kind of tribally ethnic sort of inspired stuff. So very world okay, yeah. music, um, you know, collaborating with kind of vocalists from around the world and stuff. And that's... If you could ask me what my favourite documentary would be, you know, to create would be, it would be an international, you know, escapism, adventure kind of documentary, really taking us into like a fascinating new world. And we were like, we should so combine this because music is storytelling, documentary and film is, is storytelling. And so, yeah, we, we've not been kind of doing this combined thing for that long, but it is actually working really well. Because, um, you know, DJs, for example, they get to travel the world unlike many, you know, careers and many exactly. kind of people. And, you know, a lot of them have absolutely huge platforms, but they never really showcase much of these kind of countries that they're traveling to. And increasingly so, particularly with the music that we make, it's the scenes are in developing countries and like places that have such fascinating kind of social situations, political situations, you know, so... Yeah, the dream for us is to kind of showcase the world behind the decks, we kind of call it, through film. That is so interesting. That's such an interesting take on on dance music, basically, is to tell stories of cultures, of, of where I imagine the stories that you, you can think of and the stories where you'd like to tell from other cultures and countries. I've never heard it quite <laughs> phrased like that. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people say the same. Even people within the industry are like, oh, yeah, that's kind of I've never really heard of anyone doing that. But people don't really realise that music is you know it is inherently political and it is you know you know people just think it's you know you go into a club and you have a few drinks and lose yourself but like you know music is such a universal language wherever you go around the world and 
all of these like clubs and big festivals and whatever they're really plugged into the local kind of like political scene the local social scene so yeah it's it's a fascinating tool and it's a good way i think of engaging younger audiences and kind of showing showing them current affairs and telling stories in a way that's not you know hard and heavy yeah it's a bit more accessible <laughs> right so let, let's do your recommendations then so um i'm really interested to hear what what these are going to be for you then so first question what's your favorite gig venue in the manchester salford area so i love gorilla yeah. to be honest mm-hmm. um just because we've been to so many great gigs there they also do great food and just like oh, i yeah, mean I'm a, I'm a real fan of so like when i first started going out in manchester sankey's was still going yeah yeah you know warehouse project had just started so i've been to all the kind of bigger you know big kind of venues and and done a lot of big festivals around the world but i still love small intimate mm. you know gets a bit sweaty and yeah, a bit sort of just a couple of, like, of hundred people in there just having the time yeah, of their lives exactly really. and yeah. like you know the smoking area is cool there sorry so random that i love <laughs> you know because you always have the best conversations with people in the smoking area you know like friends you've made from nights no out. no absolutely yeah i always find that they're like made in smoking <laughs> and i love joshua brooks so they're my two kind of like favorites when i come back smashing and so what is your best tv documentary that you've seen in the last year so I actually, I mean, she is a friend of mine, so I'm not just giving her a shout out for this. I just mm-hmm. thought it was bloody brilliant. Um, so my mate Catherine and I did a series called A Very British Cult. Um, if you've not seen it, I would recommend watching slash listening because it's uh, a doc and a podcast series. Okay, yeah. And, um, you know, they basically, as a team, got into this world of... I mean, it is a cult, to be fair, but it's kind of like a self-help sort of... Um, network of people and it follows i'm not going to give too many spoilers away because it's one of those that like okay. everything is like a you reveal need, you really and you're need like to watch it, yeah. what uh so it's, it'll still be on iPlayer, iplayer and the um podcast is on bbc, BBC sound. sound cool so uh let's talk about some of like your university recommendations then so what's your strongest memory of being a student at salford honestly it was the tutors and just like the kind of general environment like I think I went from doing that undergrad where obviously, you know, my course was a thousand people. So, you know, it's a huge course. Didn't get to know the tutors really at Mm -hmm. all. You know, it's very like a distance kind of learning. And then I came here and it just felt a complete contrast of an experience. Um, And, you know, it wasn't just the tutors. It was having that smaller year group. You know, we did so much together like when you're doing keys news which is our kind of like news program yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. you genuinely feel like you're doing the real deal like mm-hmm. you actually do you know that like the adrenaline is rushing really feels like team spirit and i felt like the the tutors and the lecturers really like fostered that feeling like That's within great. everyone so what must every uh Salford journalism student uh experience before they leave here I mean, I might be a bit biased in saying this, but I think oh, you should ahead. go to a Manchester United match. I mean, it's it's just across the way, isn't it? <laughs> kind of hard to, to not go at least once, right? I mean, I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't give a shout out to that, because <laughs> if you're in the Salford area, then you must go visit, exactly. you know, the Theatre of Dreams. I am biased because I have a season ticket, but I mean, other than that, like, again, if you're, like, based here, 
I think one thing I'd never done, because obviously I grew up in South Manchester, mm-hmm. so complete just other end of like Manchester. Like the actual, is it a borough? I should really know that. Salford as a as an it's area. A, so it's a city council area. A city yeah. council yeah, area. It was yeah. a borough. Now it's a city. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what I mean. As a as an area, it has really fascinating communities, and absolutely, you know, as its own sort of like ecosystem and environment, like the types of communities that live here and things that are happening here are really really interesting, and I I learned a lot. So I would just say embrace like, don't just think you need to go to yeah. town. You know, because that's yeah. what everyone does. Go and see the whole city, exactly, because it is, it is an absolutely fantastic place. Amber, thank you so much for your time here today. It's been lovely having you. Thank you, Lachlan. Really enjoyed it. Great. Uh, so we hope you're enjoying the podcast. Um, that brings an end to episode four today. So if you enjoy what you're hearing, please do subscribe and we'll see you next time.